0: Hey, Yak, welcome back to another quarantine podcast, episode number 46. We're on a roll here. We're going to be in Ezekiel eventually today. Ezekiel 33, so if you want to jump there. Ezekiel's in the Old Testament, for those of you that don't know. There's something called a table of contents at the beginning of your Bible, if you've not been there. He's a prophet. So why are we in Ezekiel? Well, we'll see a little bit later on. I'm going to set up the section in Ezekiel. Today, as we continue the Love of God series, we're going to begin to talk about what is termed as the threefold love of God. Um, In English language, um, you've heard me speak about this before, um, you know, we love our taco and we love our um, significant other and we love our mom and... Um, we love shredded cheese. Um, these are things, it's the same word, right? But it has different meanings. And it's very similar when we look at the text, both in the Hebrew and the Greek, that love carries different weights and different um, angles, right? And so when we look at love, um, it's referred to as a threefold love of God in theology. Um, so let me break that down for you. The first is His love of benevolence, which is what we're going to cover today. Kind of goodwill. Right? The second is his love of beneficence. Okay, we'll get that, so you benefit from it, right? And the third is his love of complacency. Okay, so what does that mean? Well we'll get to that um probably Friday. So all three, remember, God is a simple God, are grounded in the um in the fountain of love which is God. Um, and is again connected to all his other attributes. So today we're going to cover the love of benevolence. So the word benevolence is kind of a, a Latin term derived from two terms bene, which means well or good, and the Latin root root which means will. Together the prefix and the root mean goodwill. Um, many of you are already brainstorming in your, in your mind, where do I get this term in scripture? I think the most commonplace that you've heard it at least once a year your whole entire life is at Christmas time, the angels appearing to the shepherds and singing glory to God in the highest and peace on earth and that's right goodwill towards men. Um, it's an announcement right of peace on earth and that God is bringing goodwill. And there's a link to this also in John three sixteen right. Christ came into the world not only by the will of his Father, but by the good will of his Father. So, the link between benevolence of God and his love is seen in John three sixteen and 17. I'll read that for you. I have you in Ezekiel, I know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, you can say it with me, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So, God's sending of Christ into the world was an expression of his love and of the goodness of his will. He desired that people would become saved. So R.C. brings up a really interesting kind of analogy here as he talks about a benevolent dictator, right? In the political realm, that kind of sounds like an oxymoron, benevolent dictator, but it's not an oxymoron. It is possible, we talk about something philosophically, for a ruler who has absolute power to rule his domain with goodness and justice. He may be a person of goodwill with a genuine concern for the well-being of his subjects. So a benevolent dictator isn't an oxymoron. It is a logical possibility. Unfortunately, humans kind of ruin it, right? And in this sense, God is a benevolent dictator. He has goodwill towards his creation. Now, will, man, that's a fun word. So the term will in Scripture is just as nuanced as love. So what do we talk about when we talk about the will of God? So there's a couple different instances of what will means. The first instance the Bible speaks of is just his sovereign decree, right? His will by sovereign decree. And that is whatever comes to pass, he commands. Think about creation. He says, let there be light, let there be... um, the birds and fish of the air. He commands them and it comes to pass. But the Bible also speaks of his perceptive will. And that is the sense that um, God refers to his law or his commands and his divine precepts. So sometimes this is referred to as the permissive will of God, God in the sense that this is, God puts forth his will, but he allows or lets the sinner... Sin. And permissive isn't dangerous because it seems that God gives his blessing or somehow to sin. It doesn't. On the contrary, God permits our sin. It means that he lets us exercise our bad will and our bad actions. Uh, The perceptive will expresses that God commands us to do. So that's his will. I will that you would do this, to follow my law. It does not, however, compel our obedience. In this sense, we say that the perceptive will differs from the um, will of um, decree. And the last kind of way we talk about the will of God is that the will of God speaks of the dispositional will of God. And this refers to the divine attitude towards his creatures. God is not ill-disposed towards people. Rather, he is fundamentally well-disposed to us. He desires our goodwill. And in this sense, his good disposition is a manifestation of his benevolent love. That's what R.C. says. Well, okay, well, if that's the case, we got to jump back to election, right? We just talked about it. Because Arminians use this to argue that God is constrained by his benevolent love and saves as many people as he possibly can. And some of the text seems to say that. I'm going to read to you 2 Peter. But beloved, do not forget this one thing that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackless, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But here's the problem with the um, kind of Arminian viewpoint of election. It has two assumptions. The first is that the willing here, refers to the will of decree of God, and that any refers to any person. However, if this is the case, the text would demolish not only the Augustinian view of election, but the Arminian view of election as well. If the willing here refers to a sovereign will of God, and that any refers to all people, it would prove too much for the Arminian position. Why? If this text means that God is not sovereignly or decretively willing that any person should perish, then no person would or could ever perish. The text would prove universalism, which of course neither Augustine or Arminius embraced. So one way to avoid this difficulty is understanding the willing of this text as referring not to the will of decree of God but the will of disposition. that is he is a benevolent leader who is disposed and is sorry is is utterly indisposed towards anyone perishing for someone to actually perish is an affront to God's love of banana, benevolence but where else do we see this in scripture ah ezekiel 33 let's jump to verses 10 and 11 for now therefore you o son of man say to the house of israel Thus you say, if our transgressions and our sin lie upon us and we pine away in them, how can we then live? Say to them, as I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? God makes it clear that he does not desire the wicked to perish here, but that he desires for the wicked to turn to their ways. Why? Because of his love of benevolence. He has a goodwill disposition towards his creation, even if they are acting and are itself wicked. However, it is clear that we remember that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but he still condemns the wicked to death. Jump a little bit before it. We're going to read 33, 7 through 9. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die. And you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way. That wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way... He shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. The best analogy to kind of understand this is a good judge. A good judge takes no personal delight in sentencing sentencing his prisoners. But he nevertheless issues such sentences and establishes justice. What does this have to do with you? Do you hold hold goodwill towards your neighbor? Are you disposed to see your neighbor as someone who is worth loving, even when they act wickedly? Does your heart wish that the wicked would turn from their ways? Or does your heart condemn the wicked and think, ah... They don't even know what they have coming. And you rejoice in their suffering. You know, if we are imago Dei, therefore image bearers, then the way we love one another should reflect the way God loves. So do you reflect the way God loves as you interact with the stranger, with the neighbor, with someone that you have enmity with, or there's you would treat it as an enmity, there is some sort of conflict. That would be my challenge for you today. Pray that you would reflect the benevolent love of God to a world that needs to be reminded that their value is not in what they do or how they work or how they think, but their value is rooted in their relationship with their Creator. Love well. Peace.